Hello and welcome to Off Key. My name is Nate Youngman and with me is Father Time, Jeff Youngman. And so long 2022. As the year comes to a close, I hope these past 12 months have brought you many great memories. I wish I could say the same. I have spent the last six months racked with guilt over something I said on the air. In our 4th of July episode, I claimed falsely that Francis Scott Key is the oldest artist ever credited on a top 10 hit. While that is technically still true, I'd like to issue an apology, a retraction, and if necessary, my resignation. The first is someone you are surely hearing about a lot right now. In 1974, Australian Catholic nun Sister Janet Mead scored an out-of-nowhere hit with her pseudo-funky cover of the Lord's Prayer. Appropriately peaking during that year's Easter, it remains the only top 10 hit with lyrics credited to Jesus Christ. Good for him, he deserves a win. Stalling at number 4, it never quite went all the way. Apparently, Jesus is just a smidge less popular than Elton John. Early this year, Janet Mead reunited with her former collaborator when she passed away at 84. Now her art is in heaven. Janet Mead is just one of the many talented musicians who we lost this year. In this show, we're going to give those artists one last moment in the spotlight. And hey, speaking of Jesus, his birthday's coming up. Jesus has had much better luck being the subject of hit songs rather than their author. This year we lost four artists responsible for some of my all-time favorite Christmas songs. There was Rick Price, the bassist for Wizard, the glam rock band whose I Wish It Could Be Christmas Every Day is a staple of any Yuletide gathering in England. Similarly, while the Pogues blockbuster Fairy Tale of New York never quite crossed over in America, the bassist Daryl Hunt played on a masterpiece. And Mimi Parker, the tender minimalist vocalist behind the influential rock trio Low, who put out a wonderful EP in 1999 called Christmas. It was just like Christmas. A big loss to the Christmas community this year was Ronnie Spector. Her songs on the 1963 compilation album A Christmas Gift to You served as a template for everything from Last Christmas to All I Want for Christmas is You to Underneath the Tree. Ronnie Spector with her group The Ronettes elevated Pop's musical potential more than anyone before her. A key element in that was the production work of her husband, the notorious Phil Spector. Together, they transformed her coups into grand and all-encompassing reverie of the heart, soul, and passion of teenage love. 
To get this effect, Spectre recruited a group of killer session players for hire called the Wrecking Crew. Two members of that elite institution passed away this year, guitarist Bill Pittman and saxophonist Gene Cipriano. As innovative as Ronnie Spector was, that does not mean her peers are also not worth celebrating. There was Rosalie Hawkins, the youngest member of the musical trio The Dixie Cups. Other harmonizers at the dawn of rock and roll layered their vocals and wound up creating many marvels, like Fred Paris's nervous pleading on the five satins in the still of the night. Or the daffy nonsense Fred Johnson sputters on the Marcel's Blue Moon. Doo-wop largely declined in popularity in the face of rock and roll's explosion. Everyone knows the man who lit that fuse. It's just great balls of fire! Jerry Lee Lewis, a demonic pioneer, gave the genre its fiery showmanship. He was a deeply complicated figure whose musical achievements were often overshadowed by personal scandals, including marrying his 13-year-old cousin and some specious rumors involving his wife's death. Despite his amoral hedonism, Lewis outlived all his 50s contemporaries, including Jerry Allison, the drummer and songwriter for the Crickets. And Art Roop, the man who by signing Little Richard and Lloyd Price to Specialty Records, brought R&B to white teenagers for the first time. By the early 1960s, the excitement of rock and roll's first wave had petered out. Unthreatening teen idols like the pleasantly chipper Bobby Rydell took over the spotlight. Other artists kept the flame alive, like Sandy Nelson, the flashy and propulsive drummer who elevated the instrument's place in the genre. Or Ventures co-founder Don Wilson, whose twanging, hard-driving rhythm guitar all but created surf rock. A direct through-line runs from Nelson and Wilson's dynamic experiments to the next generation of punk rock. Nelson, 
gave way to the reckless hardcore of the Dead Kennedys, D.H. Pelgro. The twitchy new wave of Feely's Anton Fear. And the frantic drive of Foo Fighters' Taylor Hawkins. Wilson's riffs were an essential precursor to Keith Levine's slashing and melodic fretwork on some of The Clash's greatest songs. Hamish Kilgore's shimmery sparkle with the clean. And Gord Lewis's slapstick antics with Teenage Head. Rock does not always need to be rocking to be good. In fact, when it started, it sounded a lot more like this. I would work for you. Oh, I'd slave for you. That was Judy Henske, a pillar of the 50s and 60s folk circuit who was often called the queen of the beatniks. By the decade's end, Folk and rock were completely intertwined. Two key people in that transition were Ronnie Hawkins, the rockabilly star and mentor of the band, one of my all-time favorite bands. Who do you love? Who do you love? Who do you love? Who do you love? And Sam Lay, the legendary blues drummer Bob Dylan played with when he went electric. The promise of folk rock's potential as a political tool was the central tenet of Woodstock, the idolistic festival founded by Michael Lang that defined a generation. By the time we got to Woodstock, we were half a very strong. And everywhere was a star and a celebration. On the charts, folk rock dropped its political leanings for safer and simpler hooks. Few were more infectious than the smiley pep of the Seekers' Judith Durham. Hey there, Georgie girl, swinging down the street so fancy free. 
Nobody you meet could ever see the loneliness there inside you. By the 1970s, folk had mostly flattened into soft rock, like the wistful proto-yak rock of Jim Seals of Seals and Croft. Or the Broey Chugs by the Atlanta Rhythm Section's Barry Bailey. I am so into you. I can't think of nothing else. Two artists navigated that pivot from the mellow 70s to the synth-driven 80s with grace. There was a contemplative Christine McVeigh, the calming force that held Fleetwood Mac together through their wild run. and singer, actress, and many men's first crush, including mine, Olivia Newton-John. I saw her at the Ohio State Fair when she first started. While she started her career with a countryish twang, her greatest success came by reinventing herself with the flirtatious mega-hit Physical. The scandalous blockbuster wound up being the best charting song of the 1980s. The man who invented the decade was Herb Deutsch, the electronic engineer who, with Robert Moog, created the modern synthesizer. In the early years, synthesizers were mostly limited to underground genres. Pioneering prog rockers like Gary Brooker's Procol Harum Nick Turner's Hawkwind Alan White's Yes. Use these early organs for evocative effect. It took oddball experimenters like Manuel Gottschink to understand and build upon the instrument's true potential. Backed with a skeletal drum machine, Timmy Thomas's aching call for peace, Why Can't We Live Together, proved that electronic bleeps could work on a pop song. Tell me why, tell me why. Mm, why 
By the turn of the decade, New Wave had fully taken over. These sensibilities encompassed everything from aspirational triumphs by Irina Cara. Wounded Size by Yannick Egtine. Pent up nervousness of Terry Hall's the specials. And the searching industrial of Andy Fletcher's Depeche Mode. Reach out of space. Synth Pop's glorious but brief, thank goodness, run at the top was displaced with the rise of glam and hair metal. Alec John Souk co-founded the band that broke hair metal onto the charts with Bon Jovi. The greatest trick in the Glamster's toolbox was the power ballad, a cheap shortcut for horned-up rockers to show their sensitive sides. The first person to pull this off was Dan McCafferty, who whined about how love hurts. A decade later, you end up with Foreigner, a group founded by the insanely multi-talented Ian McDonald, who wanted to know what love is. It hurts, that's what love does. And David Lee Roth, in the words of Brett Tuggle, feeling just like paradise. The absurdity and excess of glam metal was both the appeal and death nail for the genre. Many things tried to fill in the gap as it went away. For a little while, it looked like the Madchester sound, popularized by Paul Ryder's house-inspired bass lines with the Happy Mondays. or Martin Duffy's keyboards with the primal screen would lead the way. The first song ever. 
Instead, the sound of the decade was grunge, pioneered by Screaming Trees and later Queens of Stone Age vocalist Mark Lanigan. In reaction to the glam metal excess, grunge fundamentally shrunk rock down. Yet, in 1993, a year that Nirvana, Smashing Pumpkins, and Pearl Jam all released some of their best work, the most successful rock song did not sound anything like that. It was a towering monolith of sheer bombast. After more than a decade without a hit, the ultra-theatrical singer Michael Lee Ade, better known as Meatloaf, mounted an inspiring comeback. The last time was with Bat Out of Hell, a maximalist album largely inspired by reduction work on Ronnie Spector's Great Soul Records, who we spoke about earlier in the show. You're listening to WOHM Charleston, 96.3 Ohm Radio. As explained earlier, Ronnie Spector's group, the Ronettes, both perfected and helped end the girl group era. That did not mean doo-wop was kicked off the charts entirely. Sam Gooden's magical vocals with the impressions sounded just as comforting at the start of the decade as the end. People get ready, there's a train. But others switch up this sound for fantastic results. William Hart's group, the Delphonics, combined Philly soul with psychedelic rock to wonderful effect. Calvin Smith's band, The Parliaments, switched out their matching suits for a bugged out space fleet and became the main architects of funk. However, the most important development in soul music during this era starts with this woman. That was Mabel John. She has the distinction of being the first woman ever signed to Motown Records. Women were essential to Motown's success. In fact, the label's most consistent hitmaker was another girl group, the Supremes. The 
man who co-wrote all their songs and so many others was Lamont Dozier. Along with his writing partners, Brian and Eddie Holland, Lamont Dozier could credibly be called part of the greatest songwriting team of the 20th century. By pure stats, they dominate the competition. Over a four-year period, the trio known as Holland Dozier Holland crafted more than 25 top 10 songs. More importantly, their masterful blend of pop and R.B. allowed Motown to break down long-standing boundaries between black and white music. For instance, his 1965 composition, Take Me In Your Arms, was a number four R&B hit for Kim Weston. A jazzy stomper in the hands of Blood, Sweat & Tears founder Dick Halligan. Please let me feel your embrace once more. Take me in your arms. Rock me, rock me a little while. Hold me, darling. Rock me, rock me a little while. And a growling southern rave-up for John Hartman's group, the Doobie Brothers. In contrast to Motown's tight professionalism, Stax, the label founded by Jim Stewart, was a central hub for unpolished and rowdy Memphis soul. Occasionally, it crossed over, like when Howard Grimes provided the drum fills for Al Green's lone number one record, Let's stay together. Other artists purposely limited their appeal, like the militant Sal Johnson. Something is holding me back. Uh-huh. Is it because I'm black? Uh-huh. Johnson eventually achieved sustained popularity as a go-to sample. His different strokes has been sampled more than 300 times. hip-hop's early years, beatmakers like DJ K. Slay wove universes out of samples. Groups like Tame One's Artifacts made immaculate albums full of neck-jerk, boom-bap beats, blustery hooks, and tons of personality. I just want to do my dance with fans and slam into some heightness. But fighters and backstabbing rappers don't even like us. But props do. Beat the source, rap pages, and the billboard. And read about the tours while you be flapping your jaws. Our freak techniques can talk is cheaper than peoples from Broad Street. Punks pop junk, tame in the sense they leave them all. Hurricane G flipped a throwaway disco track by the Jones Girls and pushed open the doors for other Spanish rappers. Uh, hey, yo, boo, what's with you? Things ain't been the same 
between me and you It was all love from the start You was coming real from the heart Hooking me off like stars Long walks in the park and all that My big Coolio took his Stevie Wonder sample of Pastime Paradise to number one and became a key player in gangster rap's takeover into the mainstream. Tragically, we're already losing the next generation of rappers, too. This year, gun violence took the lives of promising stars like Young Slow B. Trouble. It ain't my fault that what a cat go. Get out your feeling, get a bell. Walk ninja venture, clear the tail. And Migos member Takeoff. Say she wanna feel special. What? Coco make her feel special. Coco. I kinda honey the better. One hundred. Back in two hundred the better. Two hundred. I might go put all my chains on. I just might change up the weather. These losses came far too soon. The same can be said for the untimely deaths of American Idol runner-up Willie Spence or child star turned rapper Aaron Carter. Perhaps no song has better processed the harsh reality of wasted potential than Juicy, the most celebrated record Biggie Smalls, another rapper whose life was cut too short, ever released. At least the man whose groove propelled that track got 76 years. The song Juicy was built on a sample of Juicy Fruit, a song written by legendary jazz and R&B composer James Matume. Matume's career has taken many side ventures, but he is best remembered for developing a form of jazz that highlighted black cultural identity. This genre flourished with the help of collaborators like Pharaoh Sanders, And Betty Davis. He was a big freak. I used to say all kinds of dirty By the mid-1970s, these records did not generally cross over into the charts. In fact, it was rare for any jazz artist to make a major pop hit. There were exceptions. Andrew Woodfolk, Earth, Wind & Fire's classic-era saxophonist and hired gun for a slew of others, 
brought jazz precision to funk. Chicago jazz great and EWF collaborator Ramsey Lewis started his career with a surprise top 10 hit with The In Crowd. A year earlier, Creed Taylor, the prolific jazz producer who launched the careers of George Benson, John Coltrane, and Charles Mingus, brought Bossa Nova to the masses with Stan Getz's immortal Girl from Ipanema. At 104 years old, Louise Tobin was the last surviving member of the Benny Goodman Orchestra, closing the door on this swing jazz heyday. Its legacy would continue to reverberate. Nobody wants you when you're old and gray. There'll be some changes made today. There'll be some changes made. Anita Kerr applied jazz sensibilities to country music and forever shaped the genre. Her lengthy, ornate orchestration defined the national sound. A key player in making instrumentation so rich was Hargis Pig Robbins, session keyboardist of the Nashville A-Team. The most celebrated and authentic member of country's golden age was Loretta Lynn. Never afraid to speak of mine, Lynn has a dubious distinction of having more songs banned from radio than every other 20th century male country artist combined. Her attitude and craftsmanship inspired the next wave of country singers. This includes Naomi Judd, the matriarch of the Judds. And Jeff Cook, the founder of Alabama. There's an old flame burning in your eyes. The tears can't drown and makeup can't disguise. Both of these artists benefited from country's big revival in the 80s. That phenomenon was mostly due to the success of Urban Cowboy a movie built around bartender and songwriter Mickey Gilly. Just as long as you stand by me. That was all tribute to just some of the musicians who died in 2022. We obviously cannot acknowledge all who passed away, but we tried to hit as many as we could. 
They were in the words coined by the late LA producer and disc jockey Art Loop, Oldies but Goodies. All right, everybody, that's our show. Have a happy and safe new year. Happy new year, everyone.